And this morning we'll be looking at verses 1 to 13. And would you stand as we honor His Word together? James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. This is the Word of the Lord. Lest there be any doubt, this is the Word of the Lord. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name of the, by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you, love, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You may be seated. Laura, thank you so much for sharing all of that. It's a, it, it's a terrible thing that we have to celebrate this and uh, that we have to observe something like this. When I say celebrate, we are celebrating life, but we are observing it because of something that happened in our country that made us realize that we need to be promoting life and, and justice for all of those who are in vulnerable states in our, in our society. Um, she mentioned a little bit about this, but let me just bring out something from the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission's website. It said, earlier this month, the Supreme Courts in Idaho and South Carolina issued rulings on pending cases concerning abortion. In Idaho, abortion is now allowed only to save the life of the mother or in cases of rape or incest. Sadly, in South Carolina, the state Supreme Court ruled a 2021 heartbeat bill to be unconstitutional, granting the right of an abortion up to 22 weeks. Abortion now is currently banned in 13 states. In Georgia, where a complete ban was blocked by courts, it is allowed only in the first six weeks. Eleven more states have restrictions between 15 and 22 weeks of gestation. Abortion is legal beyond 22 weeks gestation in 25, that is one half, 25 states in Washington, D.C. In case you're wondering where Colorado is, she mentioned it, all the way up to nine months. This is where we live. But we also want to make sure that when we're thinking about that, we're not just thinking about one section of those who are vulnerable and voiceless in our society. What, there tries, what, what tries to happen is, is that those who are 
um, on the other side of us when we talk about being pro-life. They try to make this uh, distinction. I mentioned it a little bit earlier between being a human, which they will concede. This is a human being that is growing inside of this woman and being a person. And so the reason I wanted to talk from James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, and I know I got started late, but we always tell you when we start. We're not going to tell you when we end, right? We tell you when we start. We don't say 1031 to 1131 because there's some things that need to be said. There's some things that we need to make sure that we're hitting in the scriptures. James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13 talks about in verse 1, my brothers, show no partiality. Any of your versions say favoritism? That's okay, I'll wait. Okay, amen. All right. <laughs> so some of, some of the versions talk about, you know, show no partiality, show no favoritism. Why? Because you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. When we look in Revelation, we are, when we get to heaven, we are going to see people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. From all aspects of society, from the most vulnerable to those who are the most powerful. If they've trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we will see them around the throne of glory and we will be around the marriage supper of the Lamb all together. But yet when we're here, the word favoritism in the Greek actually means to receive the face. What that means is this, we take a look at somebody and we automatically make a decision about who they are, how they are, where they're going, where they've been. We take this snapshot and we construct a whole narrative about their life just by looking at them. And so there's some things that we have to make sure that we talk about because what's going on here is about loving your neighbor. That's the royal law. That's the law of King Jesus. That's the law of the kingdom of God. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And it says in verse 8, if you do that, you're doing well. The converse is also true. If you're not doing that, please don't think you're doing well. If you're making those distinctions about people based upon whatever it may be, in order to make yourself feel and look superior, you're not doing well. That is not what Jesus did. That's not what Jesus is calling us to do. And so, here's the first part that I want us to make sure that we look at. Number one, when we talk about um, that we fail to love our neighbor when we show partiality, when we do that, that, what that looks like is this, is that we make distinctions and we become judges with evil thoughts. That's number one. We make distinctions and become judges with evil thoughts. I lifted that right from verse four. You saw it when we read through it together. Now, what's going on here? Again, to receive the face. They're looking at someone, making a determination about their value, about their meaning, about their purpose, about who they are, about where they've been, about where they're going. We do that all the time. We do that all the time. We're really good at that. You don't have to teach that. Because there's always this jockeying of position. I'm better than you. I'm worse than you. I want to be like you. I wish I had your gift. I wish I looked like you. I wish I smelled like you. I wish I did this and I wish I had this. And we're, we're constantly pivoting ourselves against each other. 
And we've got to be careful because look what's happening here. It says here, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes, let me just jump on this part real quick, comes into your assembly. We're not talking about the grocery store. We're not talking about the Rotary Club. We're not talking about a bar. We're not talking about a sporting event. That word assembly is that word that we get synagogue or comes into church. This is happening in church that he's talking about. And so church, they're doing really well. There's not a lot of seats to be found. And two people walk in. One, a rich man, fine clothing, the rings, everything is there. Whoa. Hey, that's great that they're here. Another walks in right beside him. Poor, shabby, doesn't have the clothing, may, ha- may not have the perfume, may have another odor about them, may not be clean, may not be bathed, may just not look the part. And inside, what are you doing here? I remember there was a time when there was a, Kevin Ezell was the pastor. He's now over the, the North American Mission Board. He was at Highview Baptist Church as a pastor there. And um, he was telling me the story about when he was, sta- he was standing in one spot. This is a big church. 3,000 people could sit comfortably in this church. 4,000 very uncomfortably. But 3,000 comfortably. And he said he saw this young man coming in the back with a hat turned backwards. Which in the south, 30 years ago, was a major faux pas. However, he saw the guy coming in. He saw a deacon over there. And he saw the deacon making his way, locked eyes making his way. And Kevin turned charismatic, started jumping pews to get to this part, to get to this guy. Hey, 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 what's going on? What are you doing? What's going on? You seem like you have a very determined look on your face. I need to tell that young man. That young man needs to get that hat. This is a house of God. And this is what Kevin Ezell said. Never forgot it. I was very young in the ministry, very impressionable, and I'm glad these impressions were left on me. And this is what he said. How about this? How about we find out where he is with the Lord and lead him to the Lord and let the Lord handle it, if need be. Three weeks later, because he was welcomed in, that young man came to know the Lord. And so you may have noticed over time that there were times where I was wearing a bow tie. You weren't here for that. Some of you weren't here for that. You wish you were, though, don't you? No, you don't. I got a wild hair about me. I started wearing bow ties. And then every so often, somebody was like, now you're dressing for church. And do you know what happened to me? Because I, was, I now realized that there were going to be some people that were going to look at me about how I was dressed with a bow tie and think, I can only come here if I'm dressed like that. And did you notice I started wearing short sleeves and shirt untucked for a little while? There was a reason for that. Not because I was hot, I always am. But it was because I thought someone is going to not want to come because that's the first question we ask. If you've been a hardline Baptist for a long time, the first question you're going to ask me is, what's the version of the Bible you preach out of? If you're someone who's just looking for a church, the first question you're going to ask is, what kind of clothes do I have to wear? And you know what we tell them, right? What do we tell them? I've told you this before. Wear clothes, be covered wear clothes. Because I think sometimes we make these distinctions. We've got to realize that we don't want people coming only if we want people coming. I'll let that sit a bit. Because 
you know, well, you need to dress. My father used to tell me, you need to dress like a professional, son. I said, I'm not a professional. I'm a missionary. That's where I am. And he was like, yeah, I get that. Like, well, mark that down, mark that down, my dad. Yeah, so when you get to that, when you get to these points, you, you know, you're looking at this, how do we view anybody that comes into church? How do we view anybody that comes into our life? Well, they look like this, so they must be. They act like this, so they must be. And what we've got to realize is man looks upon the appearance, 1 Samuel 16, 7. But God looks upon the heart. Now you think, well, I'm glad for that. Molly Cyrus was talking about, you know, how she's singing these songs, like only God can judge me. And you think that's better than man judging you? God has a whole higher, holier standard than we ever did. So we've got to make sure that we're looking at John 7, 24. Man looks upon the appearance, but God looks upon the heart. And when he looks upon my heart, I want him to see me giving it the old college try that I'm going to fulfill the royal law and love my neighbor as myself. Not love my neighbor only if they act like myself. I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. So you keep going. You sit here in a good place. This guy, if he's rich, wow, he probably knows people. We've got a building fund. I bet you he could contribute and help us to make that. I bet you he's going to network us to some really incredible people. I bet you he'll be able to do this and that for us. Oh, God is so good by bringing this rich guy into our church. But what's this poor person going to be able to offer? I bet you he can't tithe. I bet you he can't do any of this. And and what are other people going to think? Are they going to keep coming if they see him sitting here? I would love to tell you that all of those are hypotheticals. But I have heard each of those things come out of somebody's mouth over 30 years of ministry. And there's not much that riles me up. But all of these people, regardless of where they are and who they are, image bearers of God, they have souls, they are of value. We treat them, we must treat them as such. Amen? All right. We'll get better as it goes along. Let's see how it goes. But here's, here's the second part here. Look, at, so you, you, you become judges with evil thoughts, but here's the second part. We fail to realize the nature of God's calling. So look at verses 5 to 8. I'm sorry, seven. It says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him, but you have dishonored the poor man? Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you have called? I feel like it's important for me to say The Holy Spirit, by including this passage in here, is not saying that rich people are inherently evil. That's not what's being said. There is a specific issue that is going on that James is addressing, this specific issue. There are transferable principles, but there is a specific issue that is most certainly going on. Yesterday, um, Ethan Van Buskirk came and shared with our men's ministry men's breakfast, and he reminded us of a acronym, SLED. Because some people think, you know, there's a difference between being a human being and being a person, which person, you know, personhood, you can do stuff. 
you know, those who are just humans may not be able to do stuff. But he gave us this SLED acronym. The first one is size. And, and when we look at somebody, does the smallness of the size take away that, from that unborn child being a human being? Well, no. Someone who's five feet tall is just as much of a human being as someone who's seven feet tall. Right? Level of development. The unborn and the preborn are less developed than a normal human being, yes, but no less a human being. There was an issue when I lived in Florida about Terry Schiavo. You may remember her, where she was having a, you know, people were trying to determine the worth of her life. And she was still alive, but she didn't have the quality of life that other people set upon her. And so they unplugged her support. It's a terrible thing. If you're not familiar with that, you need to look it up. It's a terrible thing. But we can do that with people who are born. We can determine because of their level of development that they may not be as much of a human being as someone who is in shape. Environment, though an unborn child is located in a different environment, does it make it less human? No. Someone living in Manhattan and someone living in the, in the rainforest of the Amazon, there's still just as much humanity there, regardless of where the environment or the civilization may be, degree of dependency. That unborn child, that preborn child has its own DNA, but yes, it's dependent. Just like others may be dependent on life, doesn't make them less human, doesn't make them less of a person. And so when we're looking at this, the, the, the rich folks that were going along here were actually corrupt rich people. There are Christian rich people. Don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying and what James is saying by the Spirit. Because what they were doing is, is that the rich folks were the ones that were accumulating all of the wealth and were going along taking land away, and they were using the justice system to try to, uh, to, to do this injustice because they would begin to levy high, ta- high interest rates on them. And then when they couldn't pay, they would take them to court because of late payment, and then they would lose their land, and they would accumulate all of the land. And this is what the rich, these rich folks that were being welcomed to the church, oh, I'm so glad you're here. You must like us now. Hooray! That's what they were doing to him the other six days of the week. And the ones who were on the, on the receiving end of their injustice were being humiliated in the assembly. So when God is saying this, most of the people in our world would be considered and defined as poor. Even those who are considered poor in our country, if you look at it considering the rest of the world, they're considered well off in comparison to the rest of the world. Just that those are just those are just statistics and facts that are that are there. So most of the people are. But see what happened was the poor had no value there. But in the kingdom of God they did. He loves them. He rescued them just as much as he worked to rescue the rich. Leviticus nineteen fifteen says, "You shall do no injustice in court." Now listen to what's being said here. You shall not be partial to the poor. Because sometimes they would come in, they were poor, and they wouldn't look at the case. They would just look, oh, I'm going to take pity on this poor person. No, don't be partial that way. Still bring justice to that situation. Then he goes on, nor defer to the great. So don't pity the poor when this is happening, and don't defer to the great. What do you do? But in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You take people where they are as image bearers of God as they are and go based upon the overarching authority and truth, not subjective truth. This is your truth. That's your truth. This is my truth. You have truth, Oprah. You have truth. You have truth. You have truth. 
you have to be very, very careful how you operate because we have to make sure that we are dealing with Christ's truth and righteousness in love and not just looking at someone and going by your law and your way. We've got to be really careful about that. So these questions that are here, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Yes. Praise God for that. Has not, uh, but, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich one who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Well, they are. So why are you deferring to them when they are being corrupt to you? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Poor, rich, middle class, all who trust in Christ will have all of Christ. We have to remember that. Because that's how he called us. But these folks, by their actions and by their words, were blaspheming and reviling and slandering the good name of God. Let it not be named among us in the assembly. The world's going to do that. The world, I love what someone's going to say, the world's going to world. You with me? Have I lost you? I, I certainly hope that I have not. But the world is going to world. How about church we church? How about we be what God's called us to be in this in verse 8? If you really fulfill the royal law. According to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But, now sometimes you see that word but, it's good. Sometimes you see that, but it's a contrast. And the contrast here is, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and you are convicted by the law as transgressors. Remember who the ultimate lawgiver is. My brothers, verse 1, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now, how do we do that? Well, God has promised to give us wisdom to do that. In verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, oh, verse 5 of chapter 1. That helps, right? Verse, uh, verse 5 of chapter 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in all his ways. In, in chapter 3, where it talks about that, that with your mouth you bless the Lord, and with your mouth you bring out curses my brothers this should not be it's a it's a there is a division in you and therefore it is bringing disunity among the body we have to be consistent personally to be able to help the body be consistent corporately and when we see that happening we see many many good things going on lastly let me just make sure we understand this if we show partiality we fail to be a conduit of mercy if we're showing favoritism and partiality to people, we're going to be ugly to people, whether subtly or whether outwardly. Well, they deserve that. Well, so did you. There's a lot that you deserve that Jesus didn't put to your account. He put it on his own son. Why then, if we have been recipients of mercy and grace, why do we turn around and, 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 and dispense justice our own justice that's not based upon the things of God on other people. You love receiving his grace. How about giving it? How about let's make sure that we are being conduits of his mercy and not reservoirs. And then we're pumping out all this other junk to everybody else. 
We've got to be real careful. So you see here, if you show partiality, verse 9, you're committing sin and, convict, and convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. Now, the fact is, is that going to be the case? Is there going to be a time where we're going to break God's law? Yes, that's, that's the purpose of the law is to expose our sin and expose our need for a Savior. That's what the law does. God's law. And so if he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder, if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. He, he dealt with both of these because there's two tables of the law. The first four commandments, the first table deal with our relationship with God. The second table, verses or commandments 5 to 10, deal with how we deal with ourselves. So when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's table number one of the law. Love your neighbor as yourself, that's table two. It's always been around. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is nothing new. This has always been God's way. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so when you look at this, so, verse 12, speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of, of liberty. In other words, you may come into church and you may hear the word of God and you may say amen and uh-huh in all the right places. And you may walk out of here feeling very satisfied that you said amen and uh-huh in all the right places. But what does it say in verse 22 of chapter 1? Oh, I love heads looking down making sure that I'm getting it right. It says it there, be doers of the word and not hearers only. And then what's that qualifier there? Deceiving yourselves. If you are just a hearer of the word, even if you say amen and uh-huh in all the right places, but you're not doing what he says, you're deceiving yourself. The proof is in the doing. What is happening? We do the law of liberty. Well, love neighbor as yourself. That, that's, that's a good principle. Yes. No, let's, let's actually do it. Let's actually love those who are our enemies. Love those who are different from us. Love those who are the same as us. Love those who have lesser talents than we have or giftings. Or love those who have more talents or more giftings. Let's love the people who are from the south. Amen. I, I, I'll tell you, no, I'll tell you why. And I'm, 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 in, I'm all seriousness. Because, hold on. <laughs> I'm in all seriousness. Because sometimes when people hear me talk and I get mission trip tired and they hear me talk like I'm a southerner, they make some sort of aspersions on my intelligence. Well, you go on then. You think what you think. I know that my identity is not based on what any of you think. It's not based on what any of you think either. You thought, oh, he's talking about them over there because he's looking. Down. Not, not you. No, because my identity, ha- it's not only is in Christ, it has to be in Christ. Because if I ended up going up or down based upon what people thought of me or what they thought about what I wrote or what I say or how I do or whatever it is, do you know how up and down I would be? You know how manic I would be all the time? You know how manic you're, you could be all the time if that's the case with you? We have to make sure that we're not showing favoritism based upon this whole laundry list of whatever the world is putting on us to show that, okay, you're valuable if you have this and this and this and this and this and this. Let's cut it out because you have me for a half hour. If you go to Sunday school, then you have another hour. If you come Wednesday night, you have another hour. 
that's still, according to the 168 hours that we have during the week, not counting sleep, there's a lot that the world is pumping into you about what matters and who matters. And I'm telling you, it's easy to fall into that. It's easy to fall into what other people think of who you are. But if there is a, I keep saying if, let's do this. Since there is a Savior in heaven, his name is Jesus Christ, who knows more about me and more about you than anybody else puts together. He knows more about you. He knows the good stuff that you've done. But he also knows the bad stuff you've done and said and thought. He knows every little thing about it. And he still loves me enough and loves you enough to meet you where you are and to die as a substitute for you and for me so that I can be with him and be rescued and reconciled from my brokenness. What... What does it matter what anybody else thinks? Because what he thinks matters not only more than what somebody else thinks, it matters more than what you think about you. You know where you've blown it and where you've messed up, and yet Jesus comes and meets you where you are. Now, you say, what does this have to do with sanctity of life Sunday? Here's, this is what it is. If you realize where you are in standing with the Lord, then that's going to change how you treat everybody else. Because you know you don't deserve it, and yet here he comes along. That will transform how you love your neighbor. That will transform how you love those in the womb. That will transform how those who are about ready to hit the tomb. That will transform how you, you, you deal with everybody and no longer will you be down. I can't believe they did that to me, said that to me. What does Christ think of you? He loved you enough that he commended himself to us that while we were yet sinners, Romans 8, 5, 5, 8, right, Christ died for us. Romans 8, 5 is really good too, by the way, but, but we're talking about Romans 5, 8. So what do we do? There is a passage in James 4 that I read earlier, humble yourselves. Well, I'm all that in a bag of chips, and I'll tell you all about it. No, you're not. Not in comparison to the holiness of God. Not in comparison to the greatness of Christ. How great is our God. Then sings my soul, I Savior God to thee. How great thou art. We sing about the greatness of God, and then we turn around and talk about the greatness of ourselves. Come on. Where are we? Humble yourselves. Be conduits of, of his mercy here presently so that you can be of use to bring them to his mercy for all of eternity. And then we realize that we need to stand up repeatedly, consistently, constantly for those who cannot stand up for themselves. The Christians were the ones that developed the hospitals. The Christians were the ones that developed the libraries. The Christians were the ones that really got the scientific stuff going. The Christians, because they were the ones that realized that no one else was going to be able to help those who couldn't help themselves. But Christ came down and helped us when we couldn't help ourselves. So I'm going to be a conduit of that grace and mercy to those who are, and then give them an opportunity to hear about the greatness of God spiritually. It all connects.
the gospel ministry of Alternatives Pregnancy Center, the gospel ministry of Arapahoe Road Baptist Church, and all those who name the name of Christ are after one thing. To help those to, to, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves so that we can get them into heaven for all of eternity. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us in this day. I pray, Father, that you would help us to, the joy that we have in Christianity does not come because you've blessed us with fine clothes and money and a good standard of living, a great family. Lord, you may have blessed us, but in Christ, even those who don't have any of those things, if they have Christ, they have all that they need, for Jesus is more than enough. So, Father, bring to our mind places and areas and thoughts and mindsets that we have where we have shown favoritism, partiality, where there's something inside of us that believes that because of who we are and because of what someone else is, that we feel like that we're better, superior. Thank you, Father, for putting us all on equal ground. We are all image bearers of you, and we are all in need of a Savior. Thank you, Lord, that 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 level ground leads all the way to the cross, for we are all, as image bearers, and all having souls, all needing rescue. What a broken world that we live in, where just because of someone's size or level of development or environment that we determine that we can be better and we use our own rights to undermine the rights of somebody else just because of size. So may we be as the church of Jesus Christ, the conscience of our society, but we also may we bring them to the beauty of the gospel. So if there's anyone here that has never trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior, may this be the day. He's not going to come to us just because of the color of our skin or the fatness of our wallet. He's not going to come to us because of our political affiliation. He comes to us because anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And no matter who you are, that's the case. Thank you, Father, for reminding us of that. Help us, Lord. And all that we do and say, to live this law of liberty, to love our neighbor as ourself, to love in truth, in love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Goodness. Let's, um, you, you have an option of looking at the board or you can uh, look at the hymnalist number 238. And we just ask the Holy Spirit to breathe upon us and to lead us in the direction that God would have us to do. May Jesus have his way in each and every one of us as we stand together and commit ourselves to him.